Well, good morning. I haven't been up here in, in front of you doing this, in this capacity, for a while. It's been a few years um, since I've preached. Um, so it's a little bit nerve-wracking, actually, being up here. But um, let's... let's uh, so, um, as Nathan said last week, uh, he and I are going to be sharing uh, the preaching through 1 Thessalonians over the, the next few months. Uh, so he began with chapter 1, and I'm going to continue this week. Uh, we'll look at chapter 2 and see what um, what God has to say to us through that. Um, it's wonderful to have young people like Nathan. Uh, I can say he's young because he, he is 10 or 11 years younger than I am. <laughs> um, I often forget that, but he is quite young, and I can't imagine when I was his age to be standing up here doing this. Um, so we're thankful for the way that God is working uh, in Nathan's life, fanning into flame the gift that he has. Let's, uh, let's just pray before we come to this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that uh, you have given us your word. You haven't left us directionless. Uh, we have your word to guide us, to teach us and to train us, to rebuke us. We pray this morning uh, that... You will speak to each of us. Um, anything that I say that's not helpful, please um, erase it from our memories and help us to focus on your word and uh, what you have to say to us this morning. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, so um, we... We read there, the start of chapter 2 there, that God's, uh, that, sorry, that Paul's coming was not in vain. That his coming to the Thessalonians was, was not in vain. And, and Nathan spoke to us about this from chapter 1 last week. Um, we see there just a, a snapshot of it in, in, in verse 3, just to refresh our memories of it. Uh, remember before our God and Father the work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was one of the, the fruit of the ministry. There, um, down in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And then verse 8, for not only the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that the, these Thessalonians were... Um, they, they were become famous for their faith across the, the, the world. And verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. So these, the, the coming was not in vain. This is what Paul's talking about here. Uh, the gospel, the message that came to the Thessalonians was bearing fruit. And um, and in this chapter, chapter 2, we get a, a picture of the deep care that Paul had for the believers, um, how he nurtured them in the faith. We see his pastoral heart and I guess his example to the Thessalonians is a good example to us in our own conduct. We might not think of ourselves as pastors, we don't have that title necessarily um, 
Well, if you want the past, if you want the title of pastor, if you if you go to Niger, um, you'll no doubt everyone will call you pastor. As long as you you know you have a Bible in your hand, you you'll be called a pastor. Um, but even though we we're, we're not don't have that official role necessarily, uh, we are all to be involved in pastoral ministry. And, uh, and Nathan touched on this last week in quite quite depth, uh, a lot of depth, talking about our ministry. Um, we are to be teaching and admonishing one another. In Colossians three sixteen, I'll just just quickly go through a couple of these verses. Um, it says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." Um, teaching and admonishing one another. This is something we are to do to each other, for each other. Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And then one more over in Ephesians. I haven't written this one down. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 says says um, and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building the body up the body of Christ so all of us are to be equipped for ministry we are equipped for ministry as believers um, and so I want to highlight here three three aspects of Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians uh, from this passage and to show that these are, this is an example for us. Uh, whatever ministry we're engaged in, these three aspects can apply to us. So his boldness, his integrity and his gentleness. <clears throat> um, just, just to clarify when I'm talking about ministry... Um, as Nathan said last week, not just referring to ministry within the, the, the building here or, or the things that happen within the church, so to speak, um, like, you know, teaching Sunday school or being on a music team and things like that. They, they are ministry. We do ministry those ways, but ministry is any time that we share the gospel, um, setting godly example among, among our family, among friends, people we work with, uh, all these interactions where we're engaging on some spiritual level with people, this is this is ministry. So let's have a look at the first aspect: Paul's boldness in speaking. And I've I've listed these three things on the back of the bulletin if you want to follow along there. So um, just want to uh, turn back with you to Acts. If you've got your Bible there, turn back with me. Just to give us a bit of uh, background as to what Paul is talking about here. When he says in chapter 2 there, uh, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. He had just come down from Philippi to Thessalonians, to Thessalonica. And we get the background of that in Acts chapter 16. I'm not going to read through the whole of chapter 16 there, but uh, they were thrown in jail. For it had happened because they drove out a, a spirit, an evil spirit from a slave girl. Um, that slave girl was 
making money um, for the, the people who owned her um, by fortune telling. So they weren't happy. They, they sent him to uh, the magistrate. The magistrate put him in prison. There was a violent earthquake. Uh, the jail doors were open. Their chains fell off. And the jailer asked that famous um, you know, verse about um, the jailer asking, how can we be saved? And uh, their, their reply in verse 31, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And um, the, we read that the family, the jailer and their family were baptised then and there. So that's the context in which Paul is speaking. That's, that's um, what happened in Philippi. And, and in particular, the shamefully treated bit is in verse, from verse 35 there in chapter 16. I'll just read that. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come down themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So this is where they were shamefully treated. The, um, the magistrates didn't realise they were Roman citizens and, and they themselves ended up being the ones who were shamed and had to come and escort them out. Um, we don't really know... Oh, sorry, so then going on uh, in chapter 17... Um, we just want to read there the first nine verses which gives us a little bit of the, the Thessalonian context. So they'd come down from Philippi where they'd been in jail and, uh, and been uh, miraculously released. And then uh, chapter 17. Now when they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So we don't know how long they were in Thessalonica. Three Sabbaths they, uh, they taught in the synagogue, but it's likely they were there a bit longer than that, um, but probably not too long, maybe, maybe a few months. 
Um, perhaps they were kicked out of the synagogue and then they ministered in people's homes. We know from uh, chapter 2 of Thessalonians uh, in verse 9, Paul says he worked day and night, um, which means I guess he must have had some time at least to set up a bit of a business there, his, his trade. He, was a, he worked with his hands, leather work or tent making. Um, and he seems to have built up a strong relationship with them, so he may have been there a little bit longer than three weeks. But um, in Acts 17, there we see some of this conflict. This is when he talks about the conflict. The gospel of God, uh, we, we declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That's what the conflict was, what we read in chapter 17. Um, I wonder if we have conflict when sharing the gospel. I wonder if we come into contact with, with conflict. Um, if we look at, we just want to look at where this conflict came from and when it came. So where does it come from? It comes from the Jewish leaders. And when does it come? Well, it comes after many have been persuaded that Jesus is the Christ in response to Paul and Silas's preaching. See, they were jealous because they were, they were losing their followers. But especially the devout ones, it says there in, chapter, in uh, Acts 17. The devout ones and some of the leading women, they, they were losing. They were going over to this, this new idea that Paul and his crew were bringing. These were influential people. Um, they were sincere people, perhaps well-educated people, some of them. These were the kind of people that you wanted on your team um, and the, they were losing them from the, from the synagogue, the Jewish leaders were. So um, I want to just think about this, this idea of conflict for a moment and emphasise these two groups of people mentioned in Acts 17. Those who believed... And those who became jealous, the Jewish leaders. I think we can, we can often, um, when we see conflict in the gospel, or conflict um, with the gospel, we can imagine it happening to us and it can cripple us. You know, we only have to look in the media and we see, we see conflict with the gospel. Um, in recent times, Israel Folau is just a, a, a typical, famous example where he came up against conflict and um, there's many, many more. But we can see things like this and imagine them happening to us. And we can, uh, we need to focus our attention, I think, not, not on the conflict that inevitably will come, but focus our attention on the hearts of those who are warming to the gospel. There's, uh, there will be conflict but there'll also be those who God is at work in. Um, let's not forget the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans one nine, uh, Romans one sixteen says that. You know, we live in a world that's crying out for meaning, for love, and for truth. And as believers in Christ, we have the words of eternal life. Christ has the words of eternal life and we need to be bold in sharing this. Um, 
And I think in one sense the courage through which we speak the gospel is in part, sorry, the, let me say that again, the courage through which we speak the gospel is in part what makes the gospel attractive. People are attracted to the gospel because they see that we believe in it strongly enough to share it. So let's not be intimidated into silence by the threat of persecution. Yes, it will come. For sure, it will come. But it'll only come if we present the gospel unashamedly. Persecution will come as a reaction to the fruit of faith, as it did here in Thessalonica. If there's no fruit, there won't be any backlash against it. So let's not be afraid of it, but let's speak boldly. Um, I was talking... Sorry, I was talking to a, a Christian brother the other day, someone who works in a government school, uh, and from what I can tell, he is quite wise and quite bold in the way that he willingly shares his faith when students question him. Um, and he said something along the lines of, oh, I'll probably be kicked out of this school one day. But, he said, but hopefully not before the gospel bears fruit, and God brings some of these students to faith in Jesus Christ. He said it as a kind of, you know, off-handed, almost jokingly uh, type, type thing, but it was obvious that um, there was a very real expectation that this could happen, that um, he might be kicked out, but hopefully not before the gospel bears fruit. And I think this is, this is similar to Paul's situation, isn't it? There's conflict here. The conflict came, the people were driven out, Paul was driven out of town, but not before people believed. Uh, and the conflict was a reaction to the fact that many people had believed, and even a reaction to the fruit of, of boldness that, that um, Paul and, uh, and his team were willing to, to, to boldly share the gospel. Um, so let's be bold to share the gospel with an expectation that God will bear fruit through it. And we should continue even when conflict arises. Not focusing on those who are, who, are, um, who are against the gospel, but focusing on those who are responding positively to the gospel. Um, because that's where God is at work. So let's have a look at the second point now. Uh, Paul's example to us in his integrity in living. So he lists a whole series of things here about his ministry, all uh, to do with his integrity. And he's, he's, I guess he's justifying himself before them, um, but he's not boasting. He's, he, as he says elsewhere, he boasts in the Lord. Let's have a look at some of these things. Verse 3, not from error but in truth. We believe as Christians the Bible is God's word, don't we? The Bible is useful for teaching, correcting, reproof, training in righteousness. So use it. Let's use the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. If Jesus is the truth, then the Bible speaks about him. And so let's make sure we make it about him. Let's not just teach the Bible, but teach it how it points to, to Christ, how it glorifies him. 
even throughout the Old Testament, all speaks about Jesus, all leads up to him. Um, so let's use the Bible to help people to see Jesus. That's the challenge for us here. Um, get familiar with it, practice it, practice using the Bible, practice it at home, in your families, and then take it to others. Uh, I've often heard it said of great Bible teachers like Don Carson. Don Carson's coming to Belgrave in April, um, at, at Easter time. Famous preacher from America. Um, and people say, oh wow, he's got such a great gift. Uh, and yes, of course he does, that's true. But when you think about equally, it's true that he spent so many hours and hours, countless hours, immersed in the Bible, studying it, um, using it in conversations with people, teaching it, defending it for, for decades. And um, so that's how we can... Uh, that's how we can teach without error is, uh, and boldly, is to, to know our Bible. So not from error. Second point, not from impurity or deception, verse 3, but from pure motives. Uh, Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Which is probably why David says, doesn't he, test my heart, O Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me or grievous way in me. Perhaps we could ask ourselves about anything, any, any ministry we're involved in, in anything we do in life. Uh, if, I, if, if no one knew I was serving in this way, would I still do it? In other words, am I doing it for, for uh, what other people think? If no one was... If no one knew I was doing it, would I still do it? What if I were to suffer for it? If I were to suffer for speaking or for, for doing anything that we do for the Lord, would we continue doing it? What about if we, if we received no praise and no gratitude, would we still continue to do it? So let's test our motives in things. Third point there, verse 4. Uh, approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The word, uh, the word approved there is the Greek dokimazo, which means to examine, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether it's genuine or not. It's something that's used with metals. You know, you, you, you test and prove metals to make sure that they are pure. Um, to recognize as genuine. After examination, that's what this word approved means. Um, I'm not a Greek scholar, um, but you know, anyone can be a Greek scholar these days. There's a little app on your phone that I use. Um, it's called the Literal Word app. And you can look up any word in the Bible and it tells you the Greek, it tells you a definition of what, it's, what it means, and it tells you every other place in the Bible where that word is used. Um, so it's very, very handy. So it's called the Literal Word app. There's probably lots of other apps that do the same thing, but um, just sharing that with you so you, you, some of you might be interested in that. So approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Um, what's it mean to be entrusted with the gospel? Um, verse 4. Well, for a start, I think, uh, there in the second part of verse 4, it says, um, 
not pleasing man but pleasing God who tests our hearts. To be entrusted, um, I think of when, when my wife and I, Taryn, we wrote our will, we thought very carefully about who we were going to entrust our children to if we passed away. We want to make sure that they're loved, that they're cared for, um, that they're brought up in a similar way to what we would bring them up. And so before we um, took off in a plane to Niger for two years, we had to write our wills and we entrusted them uh, to someone in our family who we, um, we had prayed and thought long and hard about. Here, Paul is saying he's entrusted with the gospel. Uh, he says a similar thing in 1 Timothy 1.11 where he says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of God, sorry, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Um, so there he's saying the gospel is the glory of God and the glory of Christ. So to be approved, to be entrusted with the gospel is to have an attitude of bringing glory to Christ. Pleasing God, not pleasing man. And that makes sense in the gospel, doesn't it? Because in the gospel we see it's we who are sinners, it's Christ who is righteous. It's we who have been disobedient, it's Christ who was obedient to the point of death. It's we who have been selfish, it's Christ who has been selfless. It's we who have tried to be our own boss, but Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was the boss, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being obedient to death. We read that in Philippians 2. So to be obedient, sorry, to be entrusted with the gospel, if we want to be approved to be entrusted with the gospel, then we should be like, the, like John the Baptist. He must increase and we must decrease. And uh, I don't think we can go too far wrong sharing the gospel if we focus on bringing glory to Christ and not ourselves. It's like the old, uh, the old hymn. Um, I'm a little bit slow. I've been singing this hymn all my life and I, I only realised last year what these words mean. In the, I think it's the last verse. Um, it says, May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win and may they forget the channel seeing only him. So the channel is, is you and I uh, as we share the gospel. Um, may they forget us and only see him who we have been um, telling them about. <clears throat> the next point there um, is not with words of flattery, verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed. In the Psalms and the Proverbs, uh, the word flattery comes up um, eight times. And it's often equated with lying, not speaking the truth. Uh, example, Psalm 2, verse 12 says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbour. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So there's the element of not truth in flattery. The, the Gospel Coalition defines it this way. Excessive 
and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interests. So not only is the element of, um, of not the, telling the truth, it's also uh, to, to, for, some of, for our gain, for our own benefit, um, with a hidden motive. Uh, flattery is it's different to encouragement. Sometimes um, you know, we talk about encouraging one another. Um, often what counts as encouragement can be flattery in disguise. Um, we need to be very careful when we give feedback to people. Let's, uh, so the three points I, I just note here. Make sure that it's sincere, that we're not just saying it so that we feel good or maybe to, to butter someone up, if you like. Um, secondly, make sure that it's specific. So if we're encouraging someone, uh, better than just a pat on the back saying, well done, um, be specific. Um, give the reason for why something is well done. And thirdly, uh, give glory to God and not the person. Um, if, we, if we don't want to be flatterers, make sure that it's giving the glory to God. Um, the Gospel Coalition again says this, encouragement, so encouragement is a good thing, flattery is not, encouragement is pointing out the grace of God in the lives of others. So when we're building others up, we're pointing out that that's that God's grace at work in them. Uh, so from flattery, uh, we move on then to, to greed. Verse 5. Um, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is our witness. Um, the, the opposite to this, the opposite to greed, is working hard. Verse 9. They, they laboured and toiled day and night uh, to support themselves while they were in Thessalonica so that they wouldn't be a burden. Um, yesterday I was stewing fruit with, the, with our boys or bottling fruit uh, from our fruit trees and uh, I used this example that Paul used because um, they, they wanted to eat the fruit, of course, as, as they were chopping it up. Um, and I said, I'm not going to muzzle the ox while it's threshing. So while they were chopping up plums, they one for the pot and one for the for the mouth. Um, this is this is from the Old Testament. This is what Paul uses in um, one Timothy five eighteen. He says, "You shall not muzzle an, muzzle an ox when it treads the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages." He he's applying this in in Timothy, the letter to Timothy. Especially, uh, he's, sorry, he's applying it to the elders who rule well, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. But Paul is not demanding this here. He he does accept gifts from churches, um, but he doesn't insist on it. He doesn't insist on being supported, and he wants to be an example to them. Um, particularly, I think here in the Thessalonian church, because some of them, we find out later in the letter have been prone to idleness. That comes up, uh, especially in his second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 3. He uses quite a lot of ink talking about idleness with the church and he wants to, to, to be a, an example um, to them. Um, 
In Philippians 4, we get a little bit more uh, information about his time in in Thessalonica. Uh, So to the Philippians, he writes this, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he's talking to the Philippian church. They sent him help while he was in Thessalonica. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the, the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We could do a whole study on um, remuneration for pastors and teachers, but we won't go into that now. Um, the, The point here, I think, is to be an example through what we do and and not to have an entitlement attitude, uh, to always be willing to, to take less and to serve diligently. Um, and the the here at MC, here at Mafra Community Church, the the elders who teach and preach um, choose to do so without any financial payment. Um, so in that sense, I guess we try to set an example there. Um, okay, moving. Um, yeah, so to to verse ten, which I guess is a summary of of all all of Paul's ministry there. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct before you believers. Um, can, you, can you imagine describing yourself in this way? <laughs> Anyone ever use those words to describe themselves? <laughs> we tend to like to put ourselves down. I, I can't imagine doing that. Uh, it, would, it would almost seem like boasting wouldn't it it would seem like boasting um but i think paul is not boasting here uh he says elsewhere uh that his boasting is in the lord it's only in the lord uh galatians 2 20 he says i've been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ who lives in me so we so he the this example uh, is is only through Christ. It's Christ living in him. And we saw what sort of a person he was before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus uh, as when his name was Saul. And God has done a great work in him. Um, and just finishing off this section, I just want to, uh, I, as I'm reading this, I think of, uh, I'm reminded of Warwick and Natalie Short and their ministry among the Fulani in Niger. Um, we had the privilege in uh, at Easter time in 2018 of being with them and uh, and sharing among them and the and the believers there. They live uh, they live in Niger uh, in West Africa. They they lived there for three or four years. Um, they and a, and a team of other missionaries. Uh, they lived in a village that had no prior contact with the gospel. They went there and they, they built houses from their own funds and from supporters from Australia. Some of, some of you guys probably even support them. Um, and those houses that they lived in for that time, uh, the agreement was they would then become the possession of the local people after a few years. The local people helped them to build them. Um, but they funded them and they gave them back to the people. They worked the ground 
they obviously they were supported from from outside, but they also set an example by working the ground. They grew millet. Um, they helped out in the community. Several times they would bring us sick uh, or pregnant neighbours into uh, a nearby town to be treated um, because they had, they had the only vehicle in town. Um, we were living in Galmi three hours away and once or twice they, they came all the way uh, three hours. They drove someone to, to the Galmi hospital um, to, to care for, for one of their villages. Uh, they'd read the Bible each day uh, with those who were beginning to follow Jesus. They shared their lives with them. Um, they went to celebrations of births and marriages and things like that. And so I think in a very real sense, this is a, a very similar example to what Paul had here. And the gospel was bearing fruit there. Um, as I said, we had the privilege of sharing with them and just sitting down on a, on a mat outside in the shade of, of one of their mud huts, um, sharing communion with them, reading the Bible, uh, they, hearing them sing in their language. It was a wonderful time together. Uh, and there's hundreds of villages like this across the Sahel that are waiting to, to have this kind of uh, the gospel explained and, and lived out in that way before them. So, from uh, integrity in living, let's move on now to gentleness. The third, third point, gentleness in discipling. Verse 7, Paul says, we, uh, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. It's interesting Paul here uses a feminine metaphor, isn't it? Throughout the Bible we have all these masculine metaphors. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the, uh, the powers of darkness. You're soldiers of Christ. You know, put on the armour, the shield and the sword. All these masculine um, metaphors. Here, Paul's not ashamed uh, to be compared to a woman. Um, a nursing mother. There's something unique, isn't there, about the, the care and the love of, of a mother for her baby. It's very physically demanding, obviously. Those who have been through it know a lot more than I do. It's a tough gig. Um, you're up all hours of the night, you've got a crying baby. Sometimes you don't know why it's crying. Um, you know, he's been fed, he's been burped. He's had his nappy changed. Why is he still crying? Uh, as a nursing mother, you've got to you've got to feed yourself. You've got to be well fed. Uh, I remember we we were in Sydney at Simgo just before we it was our training before we went over to Niger, and I, I don't know why I think they were trying to prepare us for for Africa because they they all, they fed us almost well. There was not nearly enough food anyway. It was at a campsite that was closing down and they had a few leftovers in the freezer that they were trying to get rid of to us. And I remember one evening, Taryn was just... She was beside herself. She was in tears because she was feeding Caleb and she just didn't have any milk because she hadn't had enough to eat. <clears throat> and um, this is... Yeah, this is what it's like to be a nursing mother, isn't it? Uh, 
A mother does all this with gentleness because she loves her child and no amount of that crying and having to get up in the night for her child is going to dampen her love. Uh, and this is, this is Paul's trying to express this to us, his love for these people. And a child is completely dependent on, on its mother. Um, so here, Paul, uh, in Paul's example, he worked hard. Uh, he worked day and night. They were dependent on, on him and the other apostles for their spiritual food. Um, following Jesus, this, new, this following Jesus thing was new to them. They'd been living as pagans. A lot of them were, were Greeks. They'd been serving all those Greek gods. If you go down to the library, you find a book full of all the Greek gods and the myths, Zeus and all the other ones. Um, they'd been worshipping all these gods. They were new to the faith. Um, they would have had so many false beliefs and so many things to be corrected. And some of these things come up in this, these letters to the Thessalonians. Um, example, one example is in chapter 4, verse 13, where he's, uh, he tells them about the, the, the coming of the Lord, the second coming, and he has to correct their misunderstandings. Um, and it's not just misunderstandings, but behaviours uh, that, that they're having to learn now, now that they're becoming Christians, now that they're following the Lord Jesus. Um, one of these comes up in chapter 4, verses 3 to 8, where he, he talks about, Paul talks about living sexually um, pure lives and not living in sexual immorality, as was a, that's what happened in those days, in that culture, as it does in our culture. Um, but now they'd become followers of Christ, those things weren't fitting anymore. And so Paul had to gently instruct them in these things. Um, for us, I suppose particularly for, for people in leadership, but for all of us as well, are we gentle? At Mafra Community Church, are we gentle with each other? Are we gentle with those who come into our midst who perhaps are not familiar with uh, Christianity or, Christ- or familiar with the way that we do things. Um, you know, we, lived, we live in a messed up world. We live in a world that's... Uh, we, we're going to see, I think, more and more people coming from dark places, people seeking the light, the light that we hold out, the light of Christ. So... Uh, I think we can't expect people who are new to the faith, we can't expect them to know the doctrines that we've perhaps been brought up with. We can't expect them to behave or to know how to behave the way that we should. We can't expect them to be living holy and godly lives straight away. These things need to be taught. We need to be gently teaching and encouraging these things. Um, if we want to be part of God's rescue work then we need to be gentle with those who are coming to the light as a nursing mother that doesn't mean we're to be weak or compromising the truth or standards of godliness but we need to be sharing our lives being an example gently instructing and reminding ourselves that it's only God's grace by God's grace that we've been adopted into his family. Um, this, is, this is discipleship. This is what Paul did, is, uh, is an example of discipleship.
And um, so Paul sees the Thessalonians uh, as his own children. He's a mother in gentleness. He's also a father, verse 11. So, uh, and just as a side note for, for fathers, this is how we are to bring up our children. Uh, exhorting each one and encouraging and charging to walk in a manner worthy of God. Exhorting means to implore or plead or beg or to appeal, to urge. It's quite strong language. Um, And encourage, to console or encourage, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And this is not just... This is not just from a, you know, a preacher up the front. This is each one individually. Paul says there, uh, we exhorted each one of you. And as a father, um, you do that to each one of your children, don't you? There are things you, you say to the whole family, but you, each one needs, they all need different uh, exhorting at different times. And um, so... This is quite strong language. We need to be uh, not letting our brothers and sisters drift here. We need to be caring for each other. If if someone has stopped meeting with other believers, then that's probably a sure sign that something's not right. So give them a call. See if they're okay. Ask them how they're travelling. Let's, uh, let's be diligent in doing this. I know uh, some of you are very diligent in this. I'm, I'm not, I know that. Um, many of us are not, and we need God's help and God's grace. Think of, um, think of Job's friends. Um, they, they spoke so many words to Job, um, but they weren't really gentle, they weren't exhorting. Um, they, just, they just gave lengthy speeches condemning him. That's not what we're to be like. We're to be gently exhorting each other. I remember um, uh, a friend, I was, it was back in my university days, I remember sitting around with a group of, of Christian men and uh, one of my friends, they, we were talking, talking about playing shoot 'em up games, you know, on the computer. You'd go around with a gun and you, you, you shoot people. And... Um, this particular friend said look for what it's worth guys I used to do this I used to be involved in this kind of thing but uh, a verse stood out to me I don't remember where the verse was now but something in the Old Testament maybe Proverbs 2.14 where it says delighting in the perseverance sorry delighting, delighting in the perverseness of evil it says don't, don't delight in the perverseness of evil and my friend said he gave up playing these sort of games because he realised he was finding pleasure in evil. Even if it was virtual, it was just on the computer. Um, this is a, an example of gently exhorting uh, and encouraging to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that we've, we've been called to. Verse 8, Paul says, the people had become so dear to himself to Silas and Timothy. Can we say that about our brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we say that about uh, Admafra Community Church? We've been through difficult times together. 
over the last couple of years especially, for those who have persevered together, I hope we can say this about each other. I can, I can say that many of you have become more dear to me and to us as a family over this time and certainly over our time um, leaving and going overseas and, and coming back and, and the support and the encouragement uh, from all of you can say that you are more dear to us over the years. In conclusion, so the Thessalonians, in verse 13, we see the Thessalonians received the gospel and accepted it as the word of God, not men. Let's not underestimate the power of the gospel in our own lives and in the lives of others. In due season, we will reap a reward, says in Galatians 6. So don't give up. Every one of us does gospel ministry, whether it's telling the gospel or showing its power in our lives as we live, a life of integrity, whether it's in the church or in our day-to-day lives. should be all those things, hopefully. We all have ministries. Um, What's your gospel ministry? In the home, in the work, church, among friends, family members? I was talking to Nathan last week um, saying probably the most significant ministry I've done this month uh, is with extended family, Um, just being able to apply God's word and, um, and, and teach them from God's word and encourage them in the faith. Um, don't underestimate where our gospel ministry can be, our whole lives should be. So let's be bold in speaking, let's be gentle in our uh, discipleship and let's do it all from pure motives and live a godly life as Christ enables us in his strength. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, the power of God for salvation. We thank you for saving us. Let's pray for anyone who is not saved, Lord, uh, that they might come to know the saving power of Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us boldness, that you help us to be gentle with one another and to live lives that are worthy of the gospel that you've called us to. Thank you for the example of Paul and for the example of Jesus who was bold in the face of conflict to the point of death but who was also gentle with the bruised reeds and the smouldering wicks of the world and who lived a perfect life of integrity. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.